0: Okay, this morning we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, the first 10 verses. Text is in the bulletin there on the next page. There are some Bibles available in the back if you'd like to have one of those. Uh, This morning we're looking at some themes that um, uh, we've already seen them a couple times in Ecclesiastes. They've come up a couple times, these themes like the universal reality of death, and uh, also the idea of enjoying the simple things in life, eating and drinking and so forth, uh, each time Ecclesiastes brings up these themes, he does several times throughout his book here uh, there are there's something of a, a bit of a different angle on them each time, so in chapter nine here he 's talking about death as the great equalizer, again, the great leveler, the thing that makes us uh, all the same uh, says in a sense we 're all the same because we all die, uh, but he 's focusing here uh, this. I don't know how many times he's brought it up already in Ecclesiastes, but here in chapter 9, he's focusing on this uh, frustration in particular. If everybody's in God's hands, uh, whether righteous or wicked, if it's the same for all, righteous and wicked, everybody's life just ends in death, then how can we know who has received God's favor? Uh, How can we know if God loves us or hates us? If our lives are basically the same and we all die the same, how do we know whether God loves us? Or whether he hates it. How can we know if God has chosen us to be a special people? If there's really nothing special about our life or our death, if we're treated basically the same throughout this life in God's providence, uh, and we're pretty much indistinguishable in death, can you point to anything in the circumstances of your life that gives you the assurance of God's saving love for you in particular? And Ecclesiastes says, no, it's really frustrating. We can't do that. But the scriptures don't just abandon us to despair over the question uh, of whether we can be assured of God's love. We can be assured of God's love. How? How can we be assured of God's love? How can we know if God loves us or hates us? It's the most important question. So let's talk about that this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we struggle to believe your love to us. Even if we've known you most of our lives, we still suffer the pangs of doubt frequently. You have spoken. You've made yourself known. So we pray that you would help us to hear your word and to believe it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. all this I laid to heart, examining it, it all, how the righteous and the wise in their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. Eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vaporous life that he has given you under the sun, because that is, the portion of your, that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So people who read uh, passages like this in Ecclesiastes often think that he is writing uh, from a completely hopeless, despairing, cynical perspective. They hear Ecclesiastes saying, hey, life's short, then you die. Might as well make the most of a bum deal while you can. Uh, there isn't much else to do than seize the day and enjoy it you know, while you have it. Um, we have to remember the conditions of the experiment that he's conducting. He's said it a few times in this passage. Again, he says it throughout his book. He's searching this world under the sun to discover whether there is any true satisfaction to be found, to discover whether there's any ultimate significance to be derived from this life if all you see is all there is, this world under the sun. Uh, basically as if God were not really a factor. Is there, is there any True and lasting significance and joy to be found in this world. That's, the, that's sort of the boundaries of his experiment. That's what he's exploring. Maybe he intends a double meaning here, actually. Maybe he intends, actually, throughout his book, maybe he intends for unbelievers, those who don't know God, who don't have hope in their relationship with God, to hear him confirm for them the emptiness of their life. Yeah, if... This world is all there is, It's life under the sun. It's, if it's a closed system, then it's meaningless, and we might as well party like it's 1999 because you're almost out of time. While he intends for believers, on the other hand, to hear a different message, maybe because they do know God, they can hear him declaring it's the tragic bankruptcy of such a view. Because after all, God is real. Ecclesiastes says that, he says that throughout, he says it especially at the end of the book, so it's sort of like you read the end and it sort of transforms the way that you understand the whole thing, but God is real and his judgment assigns meaning to your life, it's his judgment that gives your life meaning, and in light of this then we have every reason to celebrate even the short lives we have in this world because he's given us our time here as a gift. It's good to be celebrated with thanksgiving, so those are two very different messages Right, And I think that, that could be part of the brilliance of this particular book in the Bible, this wisdom literature. It's beyond wisdom that um, comes from this world. It's from one perspective, you can look on this world and see only tragedy and futility and doom and gloom, while with the wisdom of faith, on the other hand, in a relationship with God, you can look on the same world, very same world, and you can find purpose and meaning and hope and joy in your relationship with God as you live in this world, your short life. Those are two very different messages, one despairing, the other hopeful. And many readers uh, distinctly hear Ecclesiastes saying one or the other or both. So whether you take the bleak outlook or the hopeful one depends entirely on what you believe about God. Depends entirely on what you believe about God. Does God love you and want you to enjoy the life that he has given you? That's the big question. And the difficult thing about this question is you can't answer it simply by looking around and observing and assessing what you see in this world, what you see in the circumstances of your life. If you only observe this world under the sun as if God weren't really a major factor in the world or in your life, if you only assess the circumstances of your life, you'll you'll find no absolute answer to the question whether God loves you or not. You're not going to find a a rock-solid reason for the assurance of his favor towards you. And that's what Ecclesiastes concludes here in, this, in his, his thorough examination. He's been exploring things with the ninth chapter of this. He says, but all this, he's sort of, in a sense, I think, referring to everything gone before, but especially probably what came before just, just, uh, just before in chapter 8. He says, all this I laid to heart, examining it, at, it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Whether that means love or hate, to be in the hands of God, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all, since the same event, death, happens to the righteous and the wicked. So, he's talking about the righteous, we're in the hand of God. That's a picture for his his sovereignty and his providence. He rules over our lives. We are at his mercy, and you can't escape his sovereign providence. But we also cannot read his sovereign providence in the events of our lives to know whether he's loving us or hating us. You can't read his sovereign providence in the events of your life to know whether he's being gracious to you or punishing you. You can't read what's happening in this world or in the events of your life to know whether he has chosen you as his special beloved people or not. When we look at the circumstances of our lives, well, they they look just an awful lot like the circumstances of everybody else's lives. Your life is full of ups, ups and downs. Well, everybody's life is full of ups and downs. If all you had to go on were the circumstances of your life, could you know whether you were on God's good side or on his bad side? Because looking at the circumstances of life, and the way that you're experiencing life in this world, that's where we're prone to look for reassurance. Of God's love. That's where we think we should be looking, but can you really find it where you're looking for it? Could you have the assurance of God's love based on the fact that you've got the family that you do? Could you have the assurance that God loves you based on the fact that you've got the job that you do or the home that you have or the possessions that you have or whatever? Could you have the assurance of God's love based on how pleasant your life is, based on your health or your wealth? Could you really say, This is great, I know God loves me, because look at my life. Or, could you know for certain that God has forsaken you because of the pain that you suffer, or the distress, or the poverty, or the disability, or whatever it is that you're suffering? Could you really say, this is terrible, I know God hates me, because look at my life. Because all kinds of people, whether they're inside the church or outside the church, affiliated with God's people or not, professing believers, adamant atheists, good people, bad people, all kinds of people live lives like yours. All kinds of people have the same kinds of jobs, same kinds of homes, same amount of money, same kinds of stuff you have, and also suffer the same kinds of setbacks and difficulties that you do. All kinds of people. Everybody. You're in the hand of God. This presentation of your life brought to you by the providence of God. But you can't necessarily point to the specifics of that, the things that he's provided for you in particular in your life, and say, see, God loves me. I can be assured of eternal life with him, right? So Matthew, Jesus says um, that God makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He's given similar things, similar good things to all kinds of people in the world, to his children and also to those who are perishing. So that can't be the decisive proof that you're looking for, whether God loves you or not. The kinds of things that he's given you, the kinds of things he's brought into your life. Likewise, you can't point to something that you're suffering in this life and say, see, I knew it. God's forsaken me. He's abandoned me. I knew it all along. God's chosen people have suffered many things throughout the centuries, just the same as everybody else in the world, maybe even more so. So you can't answer the question, does God love me? based on what you're suffering. And we looked last week in chapter 8 at how the righteous, they don't, they don't always get what we think they deserve, right? The righteous suffer according to the deeds of the wicked. And the wicked uh, get what's coming to the righteous, right? They, they enjoy the deed, what, what belongs to the righteous. That's part of what Ecclesiastes is factoring in here when he says, at the beginning of this passage, all this I laid to heart, examining it all. You can't look at somebody who is suffering and say, must be wicked, must be reprobate, must be forsaken by God, just getting what they deserve. And on the other hand, you can't see someone enjoying an easy life and say, must be blessed, must be chosen, must be especially favored by God. You can't look at the circumstances of this life and interpret, them, interpret, interpret from them whether God is showing favor or withholding favor. So... Phil Riken, he's the commentator that uh, I like probably best on uh, this book of Ecclesiastes. Quote him all the time. Here's a quote there uh, in the bulletin. He says, Is God for us or against us? That's the huge question. Is God for us or against us? It's virtually impossible to answer this question simply by looking at people's circumstances. Get that in your minds. And you know what really makes this point frustratingly clear? Death makes this point clear. Death is universal. Everybody suffers death. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are, what kind of life you've lived. It doesn't matter if you're favored by God or not. Everybody dies. It's the same for all, verse 2, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. You can't tell if someone's righteous or wicked by their death. You can't learn from your death whether God is calling you home into glory or getting you out of the picture once and for all. You can't tell that from your death. Your death in and of itself does not declare one way or the other. If you ask the question, what does my death tell me about God's love for me? The answer is nothing. Nothing whatsoever. And that's actually great news. It's actually really good news. Because something as terrible as the inescapable death that we all face, we easily tend to interpret as God having abandoned us. The fact that I'm going to die, I'm so terrified of that, that's out there in my future. Surely it must mean that God has abandoned me. If he, if he loved me, he'd spare me from that. It, you can't interpret that. You can't do that. If you're only interpreting what you see in this world and in your life, you cannot piece together how God is disposed toward you. Whether he's for you or against you. You can't make observations in this world under the sun and work backwards from there somehow to determine God's inclination towards you. You can't just count your earthly blessings or count your earthly curses and figure it out. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. My interpretation can vary moment by moment, depending on my mood, depending on how I'm feeling about myself, whether I'm pretty happy with myself, think things are going well, must be blessed, or really feeling the self-pity. One moment I could suspect that God loves me, and the very next moment I could struggle thinking that He's rejected me and it's over for me. When I look at my life, I've got plausible reasons for thinking both those things. Both are before me. So if I'm just trying to discern God's love based on my experience of life or death in this world, it just doesn't work that way. So, how do we know? Is God for us or against us? Does he love us or hate us? How do we know? The only way you can know and be assured of God's love for you is to hear him say so explicitly, to hear him speaking in the scriptures, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ with faith. You've got to stop trying to read your circumstances, trying to interpret life in this world. You've got to stop trying to do that and just let God say what he's saying loud and clear. He's saying it straightforward with actual words that he's chosen to use. We're prone to look anywhere else for the answer to this question, but it's like he's, he's turning your face to him, saying, stop looking everywhere else but me. Stop looking over here. Stop looking over there. Just listen to me when I'm talking to you. And this is what he has said about the things that he's given you in his providence. He has given you, God has given you all the days of your short life on earth, he gives it to you so that you can eat with joy and drink with a merry heart, so you can clean yourself up and wear festive attire and cologne and perfume and enjoy life with your loved ones and engage in your work wholeheartedly. God gives you these good gifts. These are good gifts that he gives you. The simple things in life, yes. <clears throat> this life under the sun, is uh, it's short, yeah. If you don't listen to God, you'll take that as a reason for sorrow, as a reason for despair. But God gives you this life as a gift so that you'll value it as precious, so you'll enjoy it. This is not just what we've pieced together from experience. This is not an interpretation of our circumstances based on how we feel today. We can believe that the simple things in life are good gifts to us because this is what he has explicitly told us. These things, in verses 7 through 10, they appear prominently, they appear frequently in the Scriptures. In the beginning of the scriptures, God gave us life. He breathed his own spirit into us to make us living beings in his image. And the first thing, the very first thing he did when he created us in his image was bless us. It says he created them in his image. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them. Does it sound like love or hate? Does it sound like favor or disfavor? The very first thing he did was bless us and share his world with us. He called us into a life of Good work, like his own good work. It's taking the basic elements of creation, organizing them, making them beautiful, causing them to flourish, making the world better. He's called us to, to be a picture of his own work, his own good work in this world, in our good work. And the first thing he gave us in the garden was this feast. We're welcome to eat of all the trees in the garden, which are all good for food, all except that one. There's that caveat, but all the generosity, all the bounty. He calls us to a feast. He gives us a menu, the very first thing he gives us. And it was a feast to be enjoyed, not in solitude, but in blessed relationship. In relationship with God and with each other. Right? It was not good for the man to be alone, so God gave him a wife. Which so delighted the man that he started singing. He burst out in song. The wife whom he loves. And he was to enjoy life with the wife whom he loved. We're to enjoy and delight in our relationships together in this world that God has given to us. God reveals these things to us. Clearly, in his word, he says them clearly and unmistakably so that we can know his disposition toward us. It is one fundamentally of blessing and love and invitation to enjoy the good things that he's made and given to us. And even though in our sin we've disdained his gifts and we've despised him and his love, he has continually made good promises to us. He's continually done mighty works to give us hope for our relationship with him. And as Ecclesiastes says here in uh, verse 4, it's better to be alive than dead, right? Because he who's joined with all the living has hope. He who's joined with all the living has hope. God speaks of hope all over the place in the scriptures. He wants to give you hope. It's hope for a renewed, everlasting relationship with himself. In his scriptures, God gives you hope because that's the kind of thing someone does when they love you. This is what he says, so that you can believe it. Even if you would never believe it, if you just look around at the world or look around at your life. God often talks about hope in the same way that he's doing here, really talking in terms of things like good food and drink and so forth. Uh, our renewed relationship with God and the hope that we have for that, it's often pictured as a feast, in particular a wedding feast, where, where all these elements are really combined in the picture of a wedding feast, right? You dress up in white festive garments, Symbolizing purity, you eat and drink together with joy in his kingdom. God reveals good things to us in his word, good plans, good promises, good hope. One could almost believe his goodwill toward us by reading the scriptures. The bread, the wine, the garments, the oil, the marriage relationship, these are all symbolic. These may not be things that we all get to enjoy all the time. But they are symbolic of the relationship of love that God has been preparing for his people. That God has promised to his people. That God has provided for his people in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is the word of God in the flesh. That means he's God's message to us. God wants you to believe something about him. Jesus. He wants you to believe Jesus. He's God's message. He's God's communication of himself to us. He's God's explicit revelation of his character and his intentions toward us. And Jesus is the bridegroom. He's called that. He's the fairest and, and most beloved of all humanity. He's the bread come down from heaven to nourish our souls. He gives us his body and his blood as bread and wine. His righteousness is the, the pure, spotless garment that we need in order to enter into God's presence for the great wedding feast. His spirit is the anointing oil of gladness that makes his people a pleasing fragrance in this world. Jesus is just like all of us, suffered many things and died. The same event happens to all. Jesus is not excluded from that. He suffered many things and never doubted the Father's love for him. He never interpreted the circumstances of his life as proof that God had abandoned him or hated humanity or anything. He suffered many things, even death, according to God's plan, in order to save us, in order to demonstrate God's love for us. So how do we know whether God loves us? You're in the hand of God. If you want to know whether that means love or hate, you read the Bible. Read God's explicit declaration of his disposition toward you. It's right there in the scriptures on every page. Maybe you don't have much in the way of good food at the moment. Good drink, fancy clothes, opportunity for feasting and celebration. Maybe you don't have a spouse or a family or People to to live and share life with, uh, people that you love and enjoy. Maybe you don't have those things, but you have Jesus. You have the one that God says all these gifts here the food, the drink, everything they're all pointing to him, the one who perfectly reveals God's real love to us. You have him, you have Jesus. Look at Jesus. What do you see? Listen to Jesus. What do you hear? In Jesus, do you hear a God who's against you? A God who's forsaken you? Or do you hear a God who so loves you that he sent his only begotten son for you? Listen to the voice of God in the flesh. This is our gospel reading from John 10. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Well, is that the voice of one who despises you? Or is that the voice of somebody who loves you? God sets forth Jesus as the great bridegroom. He's the The church is his bride. There's this great wedding feast for us to celebrate our eternal union with him as we enter into his glorious presence. Is that the testimony of someone who hates you or loves you? God might arrange for all kinds of circumstances in your life that would make it impossible for you to know his disposition toward you if you were just interpreting your experiences. But God speaks clearly in the voice of Jesus. And if you know his voice, if you know the very word of God, if you know the special revelation of his love, then you can face the circumstances of your life, whatever they are. You can face them with confidence and you can celebrate his good gifts in this simple life, this short life. You can celebrate with freedom and with joy in your relationship with him. God's favor toward you doesn't waver with the ups and downs that you experience in this life. Doesn't waver with how you feel things are going. And the fact that you're going to die just like everyone else does not testify to you that God doesn't care for you. Whatever comes your way in this world under the sun, you can rest assured. You can know that God really does want your good. And that makes life worth celebrating as the gift that He's given you. So set the table and. Pop the cork. Do that literally. Do that figuratively. I don't know. Get dressed up every once in a while. Stop moping around at work. Do your work with gusto. That's one of the things he says here. Paint something. Take a drive in the countryside. Exercise and see what your body can do. Love the people God has placed into your life. These people right here in your room, in this room right here. That's, that's who God has placed in your life. And enjoy life together with them as God has made you able to do. Yeah, these things are temporary. Yes, death is looming on the horizon, and at some point it's going to put an end to the earthly festivities for you, just like it's done for everyone else who ever lived, including Jesus. But even death, in all its sulking loominess, can't negate the fact that God made you, that God's given you life. He's given you many gifts to enjoy. He's given you the free gift of eternal life in Jesus. And he's promised you resurrection. Even death can't put a damper on your relationship with God. God or your celebration of life and love God has given you, because Jesus has overcome death. Our bridegroom has overcome death. He has not forsaken you, and he never will abandon you, not even when your life under the sun is over and everyone in this world has forgotten you. Jesus has given himself to you, and he's spoken to you the promise of resurrection. He said, I'm the resurrection. I'm the resurrection and the life, he says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asks. It's a question of what you believe about God. It's a question of what you believe about Jesus. It's a question of where you get your information, regardless of what you see when you look around in this world and at your life. God has spoken. Jesus is a special revelation of his love and his commitment to you. Do you believe it? Amen. Let's pray. Father, your word, the good news of your love to us in Jesus is something we all need to hear and believe. We've heard it, and we pray that you'd help us to believe it. Help our friends and our loved ones to believe it. Help everyone in the world to believe that you love us and you gave your son Jesus for us. We pray in his name. Amen.